Welcome TTB community, I am Bob Domena, and here with me, as always, is the very enraptured Elliot Shipley. Mm, I am, and I was enraptured for this one. Yeah, so each week we like to bring you insight from travel authors, adventurers, conservationists, digital nomads, tour guides, and we also like to dive into our own travel experiences. And this week we have Dean Carnassus, who is one of the, or listed as 100 most influential people in the world, and he has pushed his body to some extreme limits. One of those accomplishments being 50 marathons in all 50 states in 50 consecutive days. What? <laughs> and we don't even talk about that today, barely. Uh, he's run across Death Valley in the middle of summer and done a bunch of other stuff. And today we talk about his trip to the Silk Road and a few of his other exciting adventures. And before we get into the show, travel tip of the week, write your packing list out at least one month prior to your trip, and that way you have an idea of what you can trim out, add to, and then you're ready to go when you start packing. Before we get into the conversation, check out some of the cool things we offer. The Traveler's Blueprint offers a travel journal and planner that is available for $7.99 on our website. It is a PDF, so you can fill it out online or in paper, and it is completely reusable. We also offer a Become Your Own Travel Agent five-part video tutorial. Part one is navigation, two is booking airfare, three blogs, research, and reviews, four itinerary building, and five safety, cultural norms, and thoughtful travel. You can find that on our website, and it is $25. We also offer travel consulting. So for more information on that, go to our website and feel free to send us a DM on social media or an email. Lastly, you can join us. And if you want to, you can you can be a part of our travel around table series. That's where we sit down with a group of, of travelers. Send us your email with your name, your website and a few travel related topics that you enjoy discussing. And we will get back to you. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure. Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint podcast. Thanks for having me run by. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. And that is going to be the conversation topic today. So you are uh, colloquially called the ultra marathon man as deemed by your dad and others. Uh, so we're going to talk to you about your history of running, how you got into it and what you've been doing and where you've run. So before we get into the ultra marathoning part of it, can you tell us a little bit about your, I guess your origin story, how you got into running and what got you into travel? Yeah. I mean, my, uh, my running started when I was in kindergarten. I remember running home from uh, school when I was five years old and I, <clears throat> I remember sitting in class just you know, trying to have the discipline not to go stir crazy. And uh, when the bell rang, you know, I kind of, that was my freedom. And I remember, you know, running home on different routes. And I remember the seasons changing. And I kind of remember relating to the world through running. Mm -hmm. So I started at five years old. Um, you know, I, I ran competitively until I was a freshman in high school on the cross country team. Okay. And, and then I stopped running altogether until I was 30. And, and then I found myself in a, in a bar on <laughs> uh, my 30th birthday, doing what a lot of people do on their 30th birthday. I was drinking with my buddies. And at midnight, I told them I was leaving. And they said, you know, where are you going? Let's have another round of tequila to celebrate your 30th birthday. And I said, no, I'm going to run 30 miles to celebrate my 30th birthday instead. And I literally walked out of the bar. I'll never forget. I didn't even own running gear, but I had these, you know, these silk uh, boxer shorts on, these silk underwear. So I took <laughs> off my pants doomed down the alleyway and just stumbled off into the night and um, somehow ran straight through the night, made it and decided at that point I was going to be a, a runner and a, and a traveler. <laughs> so you actually ran 30 miles wow. that night? Well, I mean, running is kind of an overstatement. I, you know, I stumbled, I, yeah. I hobbled, I, yeah, I, I, I got through it. I mean, it wasn't pretty. It was, you know, there's a lot of chafing wow. and, and blistering where the sun don't shine. Yep. But, uh, yeah. even with silk. You <laughs> what was it specifically in those moments that just ticked, you know, clicked on in your brain and said, I want to run? You know, I had a, I had a really good job and I had a good life, a very comfortable life. And I was, I think I was so comfortable. I was miserable. Um, you know, there's no struggle in my life. Nothing seemed that challenging. I just remember, uh, how running represented to me just the ultimate, you know, test of, uh, 
a fortitude as well as, you know, a great way to, to, you know, to, to test yourself. And I think it was those things. And, you know, the thought of me uh, turning 50, you know, I'm maybe on my third wife, you know, driving a red sports car, um, you know, bald, <laughs> out of shape. I thought, I, I don't want to be that man. Like, that's kind of where my life is going. Uh, I want to run away from that. So I think that's kind of what happened. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, I know um, we we do have a copy of your book, Runner's High, and we've had a chance to read it. And, and there's some, it's really fun to read. And it makes me, I'm a runner, but I'm not an ultra marathoner. I've done one marathon in my life. And that's that may, I'm not going to say it's my last one, but I probably won't do one anytime soon. <laughs> I like the the three to ten mile distances. Uh, so, but reading your book, it it almost makes me want to do a an ultra just to be on that trail to have that challenge. And I know it's not just running all the time. There are plenty of people in those competitions or those races where it's just a race against yourself, and you're really just trying to get to the finish line with whatever means you can. And sometimes it's more of a mental game than a physical game. So. I don't know. Maybe I'll be on the trail someday. I'll try to convince Bob to do it with me, even though he's not a runner. <laughs> no, I, I like I like the weights. Uh, but uh, Dean, I, so and and jumping off of what Elliot just said, the running um, is is a mind game for a lot of people. For me, it is. I tend to struggle with like I, I get bored. Um, that's probably my biggest thing, and that's probably why I gravitated towards weightlifting. And that's just when I go and I, I've gone for, I've ran for like three miles around my development, right? There's, there's this exceptional aspect uh, to what you do when you're running 250 miles at a time that I think most people can't even begin to understand the, the mental back and forth, the, the ability to control it and the ability to not give up and give in when, when you, you want to, can you, just take us down that that road i guess so to speak yeah i mean you know there's a hundred mile race that i do that's kind of uh, pretty famous as far as hundred mile races go it's called the western states 100 mile endurance run and they say you run the first 50 miles with your legs and the next 50 miles with your mind and i pretty much subscribe to that i think that at a point you know the human body has its limitations and you really need to override um, the, those limitations with your mind. So uh, a, lo- a lot of what I do is, is you know, facing my own demons and my, um, you know, my desire to, to stop and, and kind of, uh, you know, confronting that and, and pushing through it. So I've, uh, you know, I've run for three nights without sleep, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which seems wow. insane, but... Um, you know, the human body is remarkable. If we can just get out of the way of our perceived limitations, I think we can do a lot more than we're, we, we believe we're capable of. Sure, yeah. And I think one of the questions that I, I'm curious about is, um, even with smaller runs, when you're just starting out, it is, you have that kind of like, uh, I, I want to say it's a wave, kind of like a sine wave, where you have that confidence where you're like, oh, I, I can do this, I feel good. And then halfway through the run, you start to feel a little worse. You're like, oh, I don't know, maybe I should just stop. I might not be able to make this. Am I even, if, should I even keep running at all? And then another few miles down the road, you're like, all right, I, I got it again. And that wave of, I guess, happiness and then self-doubt gets more and more pronounced. That frequency becomes shorter and shorter as you progress through those races. Yeah, I well, I I deal with that with weightlifting. Um, it's like yeah, like you know, I already did eight reps. Why just stop here? It's enough. It's enough. I did enough. I guess is part of it. Um, and so Dean, have you how like ultimately like how do you change it or how did you uh, exercise this this muscle this this uh, mental muscle to where you just don't give in. You know, I think some of it is just my hardwiring. I'm just kind of uh, fascinated with the, the human body and the, the limits, you know, and testing the limits of human endurance. But, you know, the other thing with, with my relationship with running, I mean, the, the type of running I describe in my most recent book, for instance, or any of my books, um, are 
it's not what typically people think. When people think of running, they think of a track, you know, they think of Olympics, you know, uh, they think of people sprinting around in circles. You know, the runs that I describe, some of these are more adventures than runs. I mean, when you, you know, I, I talk about running across the ancient Silk Road, um, you know, I've run uh, in Antarctica, I've run in Atacama, uh, I've run across the Gobi Desert. And, you know, these these are not sprinting around a track. I mean, this is, you know, 10, 12 hours of running a day, sometimes, you know, with, with a pack self-supported. And it's it's not sprinting. I mean, when you run for 12 hours uh, or, or longer than that, um, you know, your pace is, is, not, is more measured. And, yeah, you can walk. Uh, you can shuffle, you, you know, you, you just, it's, it's a completely different type of running than when most people think of running. Yeah. And, uh, my first impression of ultra marathoning, I always got this image of Forrest Gump <laughs> and that's, that's like all I envision when I hear someone's an ultra marathoner is that they just run and they'll, they'll eventually grow a big beard <laughs> <laughs> and they'll just decide to stop. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's good. Well, Dean, have you ever failed while out on a run? And and have you been able to take any of those failures and directly learn from them and, and grow and be better the next time? Yeah, I mean, my failures have been pretty spectacular because, you know, some of these races I, I you know, take on, these challenges are uh, really intense and the stakes are pretty high. So I remember running a race called the Badwater Ultra Marathon. Mm -hmm. You guys might know about Badwater. It's the lowest point in the Western Hemisphere. And it's uh, 135 miles from the highest point in the contiguous U.S., which is Mount Whitney. So the Badwater Ultra Marathon is from the lowest point to the highest point, uh, 135 miles. And in the middle of the two is this place called Death Valley. And they hold the race in July. And it gets a little toasty out in Death Valley in July. So I remember um, getting extremely dehydrated and, you know, just throwing my electrolytes completely out of balance. And it was, you know, in the middle of the night and I'm running on uh, this, you know, two lane road. I haven't seen a human. I haven't seen a car for hours. And I see a minor 49er um, across the road. And, you know, he had a big gray beard and he had overalls on and he came walking across the road to me. And he had a gold pan and he held it out and he said, water, water, I need water. And, and I couldn't believe it. And I was carrying a handheld water bottle. So I, I kind of aspirated a little bit of water in his gold pan. I heard it sizzling on the ground and I realized uh, it, he was a hallucination. Like I put my arm out to touch him and I just went right through him. Oh, and what? yeah, it was, it was crazy. Uh, and then I saw dinosaurs off in the desert and oh, I was wow. hallucinating. And then the next thing I know, I I, uh, I woke up in an air conditioned hotel room, <laughs> and I looked at my crew and I said, well, you know, what's what's going on? And they said, wow, we we were driving around the desert all night trying to find you, and we saw you passed out. We found finally found you passed out on the side of the road, and we put you in the car and we drove you to to safety, and you've been asleep uh, for eight hours uh, in this hotel room. So wow. that was a pretty spectacular failure. <laughs> wow. And so how did you change after that? How did you change e your mindset? Um, and then physically, like, did you, did you plan differently? Yeah. So, uh, I made it about halfway the, of the 135 miles that, that first year. And, uh, I had a determination to go back and, and, you know, finish this darn race. So what I did is I realized that I needed more heat training. I mean, I live in the San Francisco Bay area yeah. and even in the middle of summer, it just doesn't get that warm here. So I would go into the gym um, and I'd do sets of uh, push-ups and sit-ups inside the sauna. So I'd go into the sauna <laughs> and exercise. And then I put on a big puffy, you know, ski jacket in the middle of summer and, and go running in that just to, to emulate the heat. And that's kind of the things I did to, to get through the Badwater Ultra Marathon. And then did you end up completing it the following year? Yeah, I completed the following year, and um, I, uh, I I don't I don't even like to say I won the race because I, it's it's a different sort of competition. I just like to say I survived the fastest. Yeah, because it's uh, it's intense. But yeah, I've, I've now finished it ten times. <laughs> oh wow! Wow, that's awesome.
Yeah, and in your book, you talk about reaching the finish line. And while most uh, sports is you have, when the game is over and someone's won, there's usually applauding, cheering, a loud kind of uproar. Uh, but in the ultra that you describe in the book, it's just a few guys sitting around drinking beers and you're like, oh, good job. <laughs> you finished after 60 some miles of racing. Yeah, these uh, these races are much more uh, grassroots, much more low key than people mm -hmm. realize. A yeah. lot of them, and uh, you know, the you know the the finish of a marathon is you know it's a big festival, but even the finish of a marathon, you can tell people are pretty, you know, they don't hang around a long time. I mean, you know, you ran a marathon, you're pretty mm -hmm. destroyed. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, you, you you might have a beer with some buddies or something, and then you want to just go, you know, hit the hotel, uh, shower, and go to sleep. Yep. Uh, you know, when you do a 10 K, there's a lot more celebration at the finish because people are fresher. Well, you know, when you, after you've run for 24 hours straight, you know, and you run a hundred miles, <laughs> there's yep. just not a lot of people lingering around at the finish because <laughs> no. uh, they're pretty much on the, on the verge of collapse. Yeah. Right. Wow. Uh, have you done the, the Barclays? No, I haven't done, uh, the Barkley marathon and that's, that's one that's on my list. Okay. Um, I, uh, that that one's a, a really interesting one because it's it uh, it's it's pretty much through the thickets. It's uh, you, you know if you know the history of it, it's, it's by a, a prison, and um, where is it? I'm not familiar with it. It's in the Midwest. It's in uh, I think it's in Tennessee, Barclays. Okay, and um, it was where uh, I think the I'm trying to remember these. It was one of the assassins, maybe of um, uh, Kennedy. Yeah, I don't. Um, I'm not super familiar with it. Oh, Mar it was for the escape of James Earl Ray, the assassin of MLK. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, MLK. And, uh, and he got, I think, seven miles in two days. <laughs> yeah. And so they decided, let's have a race there. It sounds like uh, tough conditions. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess the, so there was a whole Netflix documentary on it. And uh, I, I guess it's difficult to actually complete it because you have time limitations and I get, I forget who it was, but in the documentary, some guy had tried three or four times and his second time was the closest he ever got. He missed it by like, I don't know, 20 minutes or something. And he's never even gotten close after that. And it, hmm. it, it seems like it's such a, it's, it is a mind game, but it's also a lot of luck involved because <clears throat> you're really just crash coursing, navigating through this incredibly dense forest. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's loops. It's yeah. five loops. So yeah, it's. Uh, <clears throat> I think the last three years there hasn't been one finisher. Wow! <laughs> you imagine that you know there's a race and no one finishes. Yeah. 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 Wow! I love it. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. That kind of that, that definitely adds to it. Um, <laughs> well, Dean, to 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 tie this into travel, you've ran these marathons around the world. Uh, from a runner's perspective, from your perspective. Which country was the most unique, interesting? Uh, did you enjoy the most, um, and why? Wow! And, you, and it doesn't. Yeah. I'm sorry. And, and you know, what? I don't like to do that. You don't need to pick one. Um, yeah, it doesn't I need mean, to be like I, one specific. It's a memorable yeah. one. Yeah. But just, just, just share some of your more memorable, memorable moments around the world. I guess would have been a better way to word that. Yeah. So I mean, I've run on all seven continents twice. Um, you know, certainly running a marathon to the South Pole. <laughs> Mm, you don't forget that, do you? Don't forget that. No, and it's, <laughs> yep. we're, we're the first people that tried it, and the only people that have tried it. It was so dangerous down there. But the South Pole is a really exotic place. Yeah, um, not a whole lot of people go there. No, not a big celebration uh, afterwards for yeah. that one, right? Yeah, I mean Patagonia is amazing. I love running in Patagonia, both on the Chilean side and the Argentinian side. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I just I was in Australia earlier this year. And, you know, running with kangaroos, <laughs> lots of kangaroos, that, that's pretty memorable. Yeah. Well, and, and let me ask you this. Like, what variables do you consider when you're planning for a race? Do you spend time looking into the altitude, the, the weather, obviously the weather uh, to some degree, but the elevation changes, the, do you ever have to, like, consider wildlife? Like, what, what sets races apart as you shift your location? Yeah, all of those things come into play. And, you know, to me, 
I like to look at uh, historical routes. I mean, we talked a bit about mm -hmm. before the show about uh, running in Greece, which is still my favorite place in the world to run. I'm 100 percent Greek, but um, okay. certainly looking at the historical perspective of, of a location, uh, the remoteness or not the remoteness, depending on where it's, it's located. Yeah. Any any sort of dangers, be it environmental or um, otherwise, uh, you know, in Baja, there's in Baja, Mexico, uh, there are these cactus called uh, jumping choyon. I don't know if you guys heard of the jumping choyon. I have not. No, I'm intrigued. Yeah, well, they supposedly jump, but they actually shoot spines. As you like, if you run by them too close, they shoot spines. What? And uh, yeah, yeah, the choyon. <laughs> have any got? Is yet? that like a defense mechanism? Yeah, well, I think that's how they they plant their seeds. And I think uh... Uh, you know, like when uh, they when they detect heat, they just eject the their uh, there's the prickers. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. Have you, have any gotten yet? I've gotten. Yeah. <laughs> They're nasty. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I, let's talk. Cause in, in one of the chapters of your book, you talk about the silk road and I find this fascinating. Uh, the silk road is a, can you, can you tell us a little bit about the history of the silk road and then tell us why you ended up doing that course as an ultra marathon? Yeah, I mean, the history of the Silk Road uh, dates back to Alexander the Great, so in 325 um, BCE, and again, another Greek. And I was always fascinated because uh, along the Silk Road, even today, uh, even though, you know, his, his travel has been about 2,500 years ago, what I learned is his army was, was massive, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of people. And wow. as they were moving along, you know, they'd be affairs and people would, you know, hook up and have kids and some would just stay, you know, in that location. They would say, huh. we're not going to, you know, we're, we're not going to, we're going to just, this is it. We're going to, this, we're going to form our life here. So there's still uh, along the whole um, ancient Greek road, uh, the modern um, Silk Road, there's still a lot of uh, relics of ancient Greece, which is interesting to me, but basically it became a trade route from the East to, you know, kind of that threshold, uh, the okay. West, which was kind of, you know, at Greece. Oh, that's awesome. And then uh, you ended up doing this race because someone actually bumped into you doing the San Francisco Marathon and kind of nagged you until you said yes. Yeah, <laughs> well, he, he was uh, he worked for the uh, U.S. De uh, Department of State. Yeah. yeah. And um, he worked in the embassy in uh, uh, Kyrgyzstan. And as I came to learn originally um, to celebrate 25 years of diplomatic relations between uh, Uzbekistan, uh, Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan and the U.S., um, John Kerry, who is then the, the head of the State Department, yeah. was going to ride his bike along the ancient Silk Road because he's a big cyclist. OK, so he got injured and and couldn't do this. So the, the guy I met at the San Francisco Marathon had this idea <laughs> let's get this ultra marathon guy just to run he doesn't need a bike let's just get dean to run so uh he's the one who recruited me to run uh, 12 days between the capitals of uzbekistan kyrgyzstan and kazakhstan along the ancient silk road which links all three of them together and it was again to celebrate uh, 25 years of diplomatic relations with the u.s with those uh, three um, former Soviet bloc countries. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. And it sounds like you had, it was, would you say that's the most planned ultra that you've ever done? At least most coordination? Yeah, I would think so. I mean, I, I once I ran 50 marathons in all the 50 U.S. states oh, in yeah. 50 days. And I think the planning and preparation for that was, you know, um, more intense just because it was 50 days. Yeah. But I used the, um, the agency that coordinates the uh, Olympic torch run across the country to do all the logistics. So the State Department, they have a logistics team in place and they took care of all of the, you know, the the internal stuff. But it was it still was not nearly as scripted as when they bring out like a, a you know, a, an actual ambassador. I mean, I was a U, I was appointed a US uh, athlete ambassador title. Oh, that's but, really cool. Yeah, I mean, but I was like I said I'm going to run like I'm going to immerse myself in the people. Like I'm going to run with them. I'm not just going to stand behind a podium and lecture to him like I'm a runner and running's very inclusive and it unites people. So that was the whole concept behind the, uh, that endeavor. 
And in one of the villages, did you, uh, I forget what the, the drink was called, um, after you had run, I think, 35 miles and you don't, I don't think you had eaten much of anything. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, it was a really interesting assignment because, uh, I was briefed by the state department on traditions and things, you know, customs to uphold. Mm -hmm. And they said, when you run through some of these townships, uh, the entire town is going to want to greet you. They're, they're very nomadic or they were nomadic culture. So they always greet, uh, travelers. And they said they're going to have a big spread of food prepared for you and you need to try everything like it's that's tradition. Uh, so they said they also have this traditional drink and they might present the traditional drink to you. And so I thought, OK, that, that's fine. I can deal with that. So, yeah, you're right. I'd been running about 40 miles across the desert and I come running into this town and it's hot. I mean, it's in the upper 90s and it's humid. And I just needed something cool to drink. And I come running in and there were all these um, these women in uh, traditional costume, which is just beautiful silk costumes. And they had all the traditional food set out as well as this drink. And so one of the women hands me this. It looks like a like a half a coconut shell. Mm -hmm. And it's got this white liquid inside. And I think, oh, something cool to drink. And I drank it. And the closest equivalent I can come up with, it, it tasted like someone had um, mixed sour cream into champagne. <laughs> it was so intense. It's not something it was, I'd want oh, for my, a And it was warm. It was Ooh. also warm. And what it is, it's uh, fermented mare's milk. So uh, horse milk. Oh. It's fermented. It's called kumis. Okay. And each of these, these villages has their own unique culture that they use to make their the kumis, but it's basically, it's fermented horse milk. Hmm. Served warm. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Not really ideal know. after. Yum. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, that's, that's kind of, that's kind of funny. And the, in the book, you mentioned that you actually had horse meat, but you didn't realize it until after you had eaten it. Yeah. I mean, again, they, they just put food in front of me and I ate what was there. And it tasted yeah. a little different, but I, I didn't realize it was horse meat until yeah. uh, <laughs> until afterward. Well, that's great. That's one of the great things about travel. It's just when you're running forty miles, you might you know you might want some water instead. But that's so that's so funny. Um, so Dean, uh, one thing I do I want to get to I guess essentially a, a way for us to discuss what you learn traveling the world through the, the perspective of a runner. Because it's unique. It's it's very unique. But before we do that, I do want to discuss one more location that you spend time running. And I know this one's sort of near and dear to you uh, as a Greek, and it's your the road to Sparta. Can you just give us the historical backstory on this race? And then we'll get into your your actual part in it. Yeah, so let's dial back the, the clock 2,500 years and mm -hmm. to, to ancient Greece. And at that time... Uh, the Persians decided they're going to take over and invade uh, Greece and, and claim Greece. So they sent this uh, army to, uh, to Greece and they landed in a place that was a field, a coastal plain that was filled with fennel, you know, the herb fennel. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. yeah. And the term marathon literally means a field of fennel. So, so the Persians oh, <laughs> landed in this place where there's a lot of fennel, wild fennel. And, um, uh, the Athenians uh, saw this and freaked out because they uh, they they didn't have the forces to contend with with the Persian army. So if you've seen the movie Three Hundred, you probably know who's the you know the most badass fighting force in ancient Greece. It's it's the uh, the Spartans. Yeah, right. So the, the Athenians United. said, yeah, the Athenians had these guys they called uh, the Romi or Hemero the Romi, which literally means day long runners. And there were these athletes, trained athletes that were long distance runners. And the Greeks realized that in the, the mountainous terrain of southern Greece, a man could outrun a horse. So these guys were uh, trained runners. They're professional. They're just by career. And they would, uh, you know, they disseminate information between Greek city states. They'd collect intelligence and so forth. It was kind of like a faster Internet is having yeah. these, these foot messengers. So they dispatched this messenger, his name was uh, Phidippides or Phidippides, uh, to run to Sparta to recruit the Spartans into battle. 
now it's 150 miles from Athens to Sparta. And this is, you know, this is for, this is 2,500 years ago. So Whoa. this is way before Gatorade, you know, this is way before <laughs> yeah. Nike waffle shoes and all <laughs> right. that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, this is before headlamps. I mean, but this Pheidippides um, arrived in Sparta the day after setting out. Uh, and this is in Herodotus. Uh, you, you guys might have heard Herodotus. He's like the father of history. So he's the one who recorded this. And uh, essentially arriving in Sparta the day after setting out would mean sub 36 hours. So this this foot messenger ran 150 miles in under 36 hours with uh, no headlamps, you know, no, I mean, no power bars, <laughs> you know, basically forging for food along the way. Oh my God. And yeah, he got to Sparta and he, he you know, he said to the Spartans, we need your help. I mean, we're going to get creamed by the Persians. And the Spartans said, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll come help you, but uh, we can't leave for battle until the moon is full. Our religion doesn't allow us to, to leave for battle until there's a full moon. And that wasn't for six more days. So Pheidippides then got up the next morning and ran back to Marathon to tell his fellow Athenians that the Spartans were coming, but just not for six days. And at that point, the Athenians said, we can't, we can't wait six days. Like every day that the Persians are fortifying their position. So the Athenians attacked. They somehow uh, beat the, the Persians. And Pheidippides ran that final uh, marathon from <laughs> the battlefield to the Acropolis. And he proclaimed, uh, Niki, Niki, or Nike, Nike, yeah. which means victory, victory. Uh, we are victorious. And that's where Nike, the footwear company, got their name, by the way. But yeah. uh, then he famously... He died. <laughs> oh, how? At the end of the stories, he died. Yeah. And was... and that's that's the legend of Marathon. So I wanted to go back and, and recreate that journey uh, just in the modern time. So that's essentially what I did. And I, um, I only ate the same foods that Pheidippides would have eaten along the way. So I only ate uh, figs, uh, olives, uh, dried meat like this um, beef jerky. And something called pastilli, which is ground up sesame seeds and honey. It's kind of a Ooh. porridge. And so <laughs> that's what crazy. I ate when I did this, uh, this Spartathlon race uh, from Athens to Sparta. Did you try to decrease the amount of gear you had as well? Were you barefoot <laughs> or anything? <laughs> I, I, you know what? I was going to try to run the whole thing barefoot in a, in a hoplite outfit. because I, <laughs> I got an actual hoplite outfit. And uh, I ran a marathon in it like as a test. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I thought, there's just, there's no way. There's That's, no way. Yeah. So how, so you ran the, was it 150? 150. One, 153. 153. 153. Okay. And how long did it take you? It took me 30, 32 hours. Wow. 32 hours. So you, so you did it a little bit faster than, than, well, um, maybe. Maybe. It's, Philipp it's Philippides, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, uh, you know, I had a headlamp in the middle of the right, night. The right, course right, is right. marked. You know, he, I mean, he's bushwhacking. Uh, it, it, to me, it's remarkable, like how he would know even how to get to someplace that's 150 miles away on foot. Wow. Yeah. yeah. He, he, I, he probably have, to have had to cross that terrain so many times that it was a lot of muscle memory and just understanding the terrain, right, to the point that it was easy to navigate. That's such an incredible story. Um yeah. Wow. So and, the and trail, the trail that he ran, um, I guess the, the current marathon course is similar to it, but it, it's not exactly the same. Cause I guess there's probably some paved stuff, some structures in the way, but, um, is it fairly mountainous? You had said that earlier. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Greece. So <laughs> yeah, there's, there's nowhere you can go. That's not mountainous. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, surprisingly the, you know, the, the route from Marathon to uh, the Acropolis, um, you know, on the Marathon, when they run the, the Athens Marathon, it's all along the road. But if you run from uh, Athens to Sparta, once you get outside of Athens, it's amazing. The, not much has changed in 2,500 years. I mean, okay. you're still running on, on, you know, basically looks like goat trails. Uh, through the hills and there's just no development or anything and is brought to you by manscaped who is the best in men's below the waist grooming champions of the world manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels 
Manscaped just launched their fourth generation trimmer, the Lawnmower 4.0. Enjoy 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code TTB at manscaped.com. Do not travel to the Netherlands or anywhere for that matter with untamed nether regions. Elliot and I do not, and we bring this with us on our trips. On the Traveler's Blueprint, we promote concise travel planning, and part of that planning is making sure you pack appropriately. The Lawnmower 4.0 is lightweight, has a travel lock, a light for close shaving, and a battery length that will last long into your trips. You got it. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code TTB at manscaped.com. Your, Your balls, balls will, will thank, thank you. you. <laughs> wow. That's pretty that's, cool to think about. Yeah, that's kind of nice to hear, um, especially with Greece being such a major tourist hub, but I guess a lot of them stick to the islands. That's yeah, really... Oh, we could spend this whole interview on Greece and the nuances, but Greece, yeah. I mean, I've traveled all around the world. There's, there's no place like Greece. It's so diverse. And most people, when they think of Greece, they think of... Uh, Santorini and Mykonos, two exactly. islands. Exactly. Right, right, right. And there are there are two thousand Greek islands. Right. <laughs> and everyone goes to two islands. It's it's crazy. But there there's very little tourism uh, outside of the major tourist areas mm-hmm. in Greece. And when you get in some of these these outer areas, they're unspoiled. I mean, it's it's as though I mean, there's there's places that I run uh, in in Pylos and around Messenia that Homer describes in the Odyssey. And they ha- I mean, it's literally like Nestor's cave. It's still a cave that there's no sign that says, hey, this is Nestor's cave. It's just a cave wow. on the side of a mountain and you just run up there and there it is. And this is described in the Odyssey. We might have to edit this out so we can keep it a secret. <laughs> we'll, <laughs> we'll take this part out. I'll have, to, I'll have to reach out to you when I, when I go to Greece for some, from, some recommendations. Yeah, um, seriously. Well, we, and and I, I don't want to leave this yet. I'm curious. I'm still curious about the diet. How did the diet hold up uh, for running? It, you know, I, I trained uh, eating figs. Okay. And, you know, I, I trained sometimes for eight or 10 hours just eating figs and that was fine. But um, eating figs for 24 hours. <laughs> now, are they, it, are they the dried figs or fresh? Both. Yeah, okay. both. There's a lot of seeds in there. A lot of fiber. Yeah, that was a, a really bad idea. Yeah, I, I don't want to tell you what, what you know the outcome of that, but um, yeah, it was it was a tough race. <laughs> Ooh, there's there's some a stops. A lot of bio stops. A lot of bio stops toward the end. Yeah. yeah, you can only eat so many figs. Is the moral yeah. of that story? Yeah. All right. So um, the dried the dried beef was that prepped beforehand using traditional methods, or was it just kind of like a how we think of beef jerky, like Jack Links? It's it's a yeah, but I mean in Greece it's different. It's 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 just more like in its nascent state. So okay. it, it is it's pretty much just you know dried out uh, in the sun and salted. Mm-hmm. And I mean it looks like it looks like a slab of beef jerky. So mm. yeah. okay, yeah, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, pretty cool. Bob, are you convinced so- to start running yet? <laughs> I need, I need to work on my mindset. That's really what it is. It, it comes down to my mindset. Um, I need to change it because uh, it's just well, so I think you're, cha- I think you're it's running so, challenging. so much in your own head. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, it, it, the thing is, so I like, I like to lift, lift weights. And when I feel a strain with the weights, you just kind of drop the weights. And I guess you could just stop running. But if I'm miles away from my house and I don't feel like running anymore, I still got to make it back. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I I have to work up to it. I definitely have to work up to it. I, the, the, the thing that's very attractive to me, Elliot, and I know we've discussed this previously is the, the meditative process, the runner's high, because I do, I do like meditating. I do like spending time in my own head and thinking things through. So I do think that I would really like that aspect of it. Um, because it seems to be a big part of it. And so, yeah, maybe, maybe one day, you know, Elliot, if you take me to Greece, I'll run anywhere you want. All right. All right. Well, we were, I should say, we were just in Morocco and we were there while the the Marathon du Sable was going on. And you did that race, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how did that compare to like the Atacama or uh, the uh, Desert Valley? Yeah. I mean, each of the deserts. So I've run across the, you know, the major deserts, the Sahara, the Atacama, the the Gobi and Antarctica, which a lot of people don't realize uh, Antarctica is a desert. It's just a cold desert. Mm-hmm. But um, 
they're each very different and uh, they each have their own sort of feel to them. Uh, you know, Death Valley is different than the Sahara, uh, which is different than, say, Namibia. Uh, each of them are, are nuanced and, um, you know, the, the, the deserts for being thought of as such barren places are actually uh, not, not that barren at all. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of life and there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, things that you can detect with the, you know, the, the air, the humidity, uh, the dryness, um, the sand makes different sounds. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I love the deserts. Oh, I'm curious between, between like a typical hot desert, um, any of them really did, were they all mostly rocky? I know there's a portion of the MDS that is sandy, but how does hiking in that compare to hiking in the desert tundra of Antarctica? And is that, is it solid ground or is it all like tough snow that you're taking three steps back, three steps forwards and one step back? Well, I mean, the, you know, in the, in the Sahara, the sand was really deep. So I remember post holing up to my knees sometimes Oh, wow. where uh, Atacama, there was less sand dunes, but it was more like uh, moonscape. Okay. You know, Atacama is the driest place on earth and the humidity is really, really low as well. I remember talking to a guy there and he, he, and he said, yeah, it's never rained here. And I said, since when? He's like, since we've been keeping records, like it's never rained here. <laughs> That's wow. amazing. It's never once rained. So and as long as I've been keeping records. And people still live there. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, the Antarctica it is, is different because if you're on the coast, the, the snow is moister. And it has different formations than when you go inland. Like the South Pole is, you know, in the middle of the, the continent. So it's it's very isolated from the coast. And the snow is, it it just basically blows around. It never, it doesn't snow there very often. But the snow that's there is very light because it's so cold. Mm-hmm. So it blows around a lot. And it forms these things called uh, sastrugis. I don't know if you guys have heard of sastrugis, but they're like no. uh, individual it looks like an ice carving almost. So they're, they're carvings by the wind because there's these uh, catabatic winds, these really strong winds uh, in Antarctica. And they carve like, uh, like a watery wind tunnel through these uh, ice caves that are called sastrugi. And some of them are over your head. So you just really got to navigate all around them when you're trying to run a marathon. Huh. So is it more, was the actual footing more icy? than like compact snow uh, it was pretty horrible i mean it was uh it was very it was like running on styrofoam beads you know there Ooh. was just no bottom to it so every you know every step you felt like you were getting nowhere okay. <laughs> i uh i ran in snow in in regular shoes um the other guys ran in snowshoes which are you know they look like tennis rackets you um you attach to your feet yeah mm-hmm. But I wanted to do it like in running shoes. So I ordered this, uh, this, these Gore-Tex running shoes that were one size too big for me. And I put those uh, heat activated pads. Yeah. Uh, I put two under my feet and one on top of my toes so I wouldn't get frostbite. But I was still post holing every step. You know, I was, I was at least to my ankle, sometimes up to my, my shin or even my knee in this really light, uh, deep snow that was so cold, but it was, it was almost, uh, ephemeral there's almost nothing to it you just move your hand right through it but it was really tough running conditions wow yeah that does not sound like something i would want to do (laughs) (laughs) yeah well that's what makes it so incredible and that's why that's why dean you're here how many people did this race well i mean this i read about this in my first book i mean this this is one of those things where i'm lucky to be alive afterward but it was there were supposed to be 40 to 50 intrepid runners from around the globe, all coming down to run the inaugural South Pole Marathon. And there were three of us. And I realized why it's just, it's the South Pole is a really dangerous place. Yeah. And uh, I was supposed to be home. Like we had this itinerary I showed my wife where I was going to be home, gone for, for 12 days, 31 days later, <laughs> I come through the door and that's because uh, we got what's called weathered in, which is mm-hmm. very common. Uh, uh-huh in Antarctica, you know, the, as I talked about the, the snow blows around like sand. So it's like a big sand sandstorm, but the snow lingers for longer and you can't fly 
uh, when that happens. So you, your plane is pretty much grounded. So we were stuck on Antarctica for, for over a month. Wow. That's crazy. It, in the end, there was three of us that, that pulled it off. And like I said, two, two of the others wore snowshoes. I, I did it in my running shoes. Oh, my God. So how long did the actual marathon take? It took uh, nine hours and 17 minutes. Okay. Which is insane because typically, you know, I, I've run marathons in sub three hours. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. That's unbelievable. Yeah. And and so now <clears throat> with having had traveled the world and um, as a marathon runner and experienced the world from this unique perspective, do you think... Or, or what what have you learned or what do you think you now um could share with us about your experiences you know i think seeing a place on foot is a lot more intimate than other forms of travel mm -hmm. so i think that if you really want to immerse in a place um run through it mm. and you know uh i've seen so many great cities on foot and uh, you know the the you get a lot more intimate uh, interactions with the people they you know a runner is 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 not threatening a runner is approachable and running i don't know why it's just the kind of the act of running globally it makes people happy like people see yeah. me running and they they smile yeah or they're wave and they they get happy which i i don't know why running you know someone why why seeing someone in pain <laughs> inspires others but yeah. <laughs> it seems to so, you, you know, you have better interactions with the locals. You know, you see things. You see like a cat skittering down the alley or you see rats. You're like, oh, this city's kind of disgusting. You know, you just you notice a lot of things when you're running. So uh, I, I couldn't go back just to traditional travel now because I've, I'm so used to, you know, seeing a place through running. Mm -hmm. And when I say running, I mean, I'm not talking about I'm not sprinting. I mean, I. If I feel like getting a latte at a coffee shop, I'll stop and get a latte. I'll have some lunch. You See, know, that's the kind of that's the kind of marathon I want to do. Yeah, it's it's more <laughs> like touring. Yeah, yeah. So you no. you when you go to a new city, um, do you plan your routes out, or do you go to your hotel and then wake up in the morning and say, "I'm going to go for a run," and just kind of hit the streets and explore? Yep, I love getting lost more than anything. Yeah. I love not having an agenda, not me just saying, okay, I'm in the city, I'm going to go running and yeah. be gone for four or five hours. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Uh, I remember one of my, I studied abroad in Germany and I took a trip down to Zurich and I was just couch surfing with someone and I decided to go for a run. And this was in, you know, early April. So in Zurich, it's still pretty chilly. Mm. And I just found a river and ended up going for about a 12 mile run. And it was just awesome. And you got to see people, you got to see a different part of the city than you would if you were just walking around the city. And it kind of got out into the suburbs. And then you see the different aspects of life between Zurich City and Zurich suburbs. It was just a lot of fun and something that I won't forget. Yeah, well, I guess there's no better way to be in the, in the thick of it. And uh, you kind of come off as a local too, right? I, I feel like people would maybe assume that you live there. How many tourists go for runs, you know, in the location? So I think there is a cool dynamic. Um, and that could be part of the reason where people are friendly. So your motives as a runner are very clear. Uh, so if you're in public and someone sees you running, it's easy to define what you're doing and what your intentions are. So you can eliminate a lot of things, too. And maybe it opens up um, new doors that way. I don't know. I don't know. I'm thinking of this on the fly here. That's, it's really interesting. I've never done it. I've never done it before. Yeah, people definitely seem to let their guard down if they had any guard, but they just, mm -hmm. they seem uh, much more apt just to open up to a runner. I don't, I don't know why. Yeah. 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 It's pretty neat. Um, do you get the question a lot? What are you running from? <laughs> I, I, I don't know if I can answer that question. It's a scary thing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know well, if I'm do running you... Yeah. I, I know people, because Bob and I have talked about running all the time, and Bob always asks me, as a joke, what are you running from? And I'm like, I'm not running from anything. I'm running towards uh, a happier, healthier life. Yeah. <laughs> I, th I think I'm running from a lot of things, actually, but they're more uh, just the, the modernity of, of everyday life. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm running from technology. I'm running from, 
you know, the, just the, all the encumbrances we have. I mean, we think, you know, we compile a bunch of stuff, you know, and, uh, and that'll make us happy. But I think the more stuff we have, uh, the more tied down we feel. Mm -hmm. I think I'm running from the, just the, you know, just the heaviness of being running mm -hmm. to me is just, you don't have anything, right? You just, you have a pair of shoes and some shorts and you, you feel more free than, than you do any, at any other time. Yeah. So, I don't know, to me, running is just very liberating and, and it gives you a, you know, a reprieve from kind of life in a way. Do you listen to music or anything or are, do you want to be focused and hear your surroundings? I typically uh, don't listen to music. I do listen to audiobooks periodically. Mm -hmm. I think I have like 500 audiobooks on my playlist now. So oh, I wow. probably listen to three or four books a month. Oh, that's wow. cool. Yeah, it's a good I one. I think I would like yeah. that. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one, of our, one of our very early guests on the show was Florence Williams. And I think we mentioned her quite frequently on the podcast, but she's very influential in how I perceive the world because... Her book is The uh, Nature Fix, and it's literally just about getting out into nature, disconnecting from technology, disconnecting from screens, and really embracing uh, the natural world. And there's actually science behind having those smells, having that connection, that natural connection, seeing plants, seeing natural formations. And she literally said it's it's about five hours a month is it reduces stress, it reduces your cortisol levels, it makes you healthier, it makes you happier. And that's, it's one of the reasons I still run and I love doing trail runs. Um, but I mean, I imagine you're taking that to a whole new level by doing 100 miles or more. Yeah, but I mean, I still, if I have a couple hours or even an hour, I'm, I'm, I'm blessed where I live, I can get to a trail. And I have, you know, I have a very um, robust relationship with nature. I think that a lot of people don't have any relationship with nature, which to me is, is horrible way to live your life. I mean, you know, you go from your, uh, you, you know, your sealed in car to your air conditioned office, mm -hmm. you know, to your house. Um, I, I can't live like that. I mean, I have to go wander on a trail, uh, by myself, uh, to feel complete. And yeah. I, I couldn't agree more with that. I mean, it makes you, just brings you back it's something elemental about being a human it's just being yeah. out in nature by yourself and uh, too many people i think have, are deprived of that nowadays and you know i hear about the metaverse and i'm like that this oh, is like <laughs> my perfect description of hell you know you're just in this man-made environment completely immersed in it and to me getting away from the man-made environment is why is yeah. why i run yeah yeah yeah, it, it's extremely it like as you said earlier, it's liberating and it's it's freeing and it gives you that that mental reprieve from I I don't want to say monotony, but just busyness. Mm -hmm. This is this is all sort of married to what we were just saying too, with with why it's beneficial or why you enjoy running in in a city or a new location. It doesn't even need to be a city, but it's because of that immersive experience and. So I think, I don't know, it, it kind of the, when we pull this all back, it's sort of the bare bones or the, the de-layered experience with as minimal uh, uh, technological uh, hinderings as possible makes the experience better. So sort of going back to our roots, going back to what it was like to run it in Sparta. I don't know. It, it, it's the, the less is more in, in, for the, in these examples. Mm -hmm. Well, and you know, the other thing is, all of your senses are engaged. So, you know, when you're running as a tourist versus, you know, just typical traveling on a, on a tour bus or whatever, I mean, you're, you're getting the smells, you're certainly hearing things, you know, you can touch things. So all of your sense, senses are more engaged. Mm -hmm. And I think that that leads to a, a more immersive experience as well. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the, feel the city. Literally. And having yeah. to run, right. Having to run and deal with sore calves and the, all the other soreness that comes kind of forces you to live in that moment as well, which is a big, big benefit. Being of it, present. Right? Being present. There we go. <laughs> How good, good feels here. Um, <laughs> Dean, so one thing I do want to ask you too, for the younger listeners, for people who might be older, but just are on uh, a path that isn't comfortable for them right now and they might want to change and they might, they might want to go to a similar route as yours. What would you what would you say to someone aspiring to follow similar footsteps? You know, first um, learn to love running for nothing other than running. 
you know, view running is play. Mm -hmm. uh, don't don't run with the watch all the time and don't quantify, you know, your runs all the time. Just run a different route than you've ever run. Mix it up. Don't run mm -hmm. the same route twice. Uh, you know, go for different um, durations. You know, one day you might just run fast for half an hour. Another day you might run for two hours and a lot of that you're just kind of shuffling along or fast hiking and walking. Uh, don't always run in the morning. You know, if you say I'm a morning runner, well, sometimes run in the evening. Sometimes run at night. I mean, try a night run. Put on a mm -hmm. headlamp. Yeah, it's and, fun. And try running at night. It's amazing. It's, it's, it's just, it changes. It's, it's thrilling. Exciting. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, and yeah. I think running is one of those things if, if you're in a, if you've never run before, it's really easy to pick it up. You don't need tons of equipment. You need shorts, shirt, and some shoes. Yeah. And it is a natural thing that humans do. It's not like baseball. It's not like any of these other sports where you have to learn techniques. So you can just go. Yeah. Speaking of, of being requiring minimal equipment, Dean, you, you might be able to speak to this. And I don't even remember what I was watching, but I was some sort of documentary that was talking about running. And uh, it, it, it explored different aspects of running and running culture. And so it talked a lot about Americans. And it really was like this the, at the Olympic level. And then it went to stories in Ethiopia and it was about the men and, and women training to run there and comparing it to the facilities of the West. And so these runners have no facility. They run on a farm that this farmer donates to them. And on top of that, some of them don't have shoes at all, but the ones that do are like hand-me-downs of um, uh, Westerners or, you know, however they, they make their way to these countries. And and they're competing with Americans. Well, I, and so I just found that fascinating. Not only competing, but they win oftentimes. Who who was the fastest runner? Uh, uh, Usain Bolt. And is he... He, he was... Jamaican. This, is, he, is he Jamaican? Yeah. He's Jamaican. So, he's a sprinter, yeah. yeah. I mean, like the fastest okay. marathoners, you're right, are from Kenya, Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I, th I think it's fascinating, and it, I don't know if it's, I, I, is it genetics? Do you know this, Dean? Do you know the history between why they're so, such excellent performers on the uh, endurance side? There's a lot of theories about it, but one is, you know, genetics, two is um, the Rift Valley, where a lot of them come from, is is at about 10,000 feet above sea level. Okay. So it's altitude mm. training. Uh, some of it, I think, yeah. is uh, just what we consider very, um, you know, tough or austere running, you know, running barefoot, running, you know, with minimal footwear uh, is kind of their standard. They're mm -hmm. just, they're tougher because they, you know, they're, they're brought up in an environment that's just a little more uh, primitive and, um, and running is very much a strong part of their culture. You know, the other thing is that running is, you know, from a competitive standpoint, running is a, is a way out, if you will. Um, mm. You know, there's, you know, you can make more money running if you're uh, a good professional runner than you ever will, mm. um, you know, work, working there as a laborer or something along those lines. They or did a, get, even a typical career. Yeah, they did get into that. Uh, how they they would make money and 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 sometimes help their community and sometimes just leave. But yeah, I mean, well, it kind of goes back to the to, to the the road to Sparta where where this guy was able to perform at such a high level in such a short period of time, you have people who are doing it today and living in conditions that in, in the United States we would consider ancient in some ways. Um, and they're practicing and they're learning and they're living and they're training in these conditions and competing with somebody who does all of that in a nice, perfect facility. <laughs> and then when you put that person in a nice facility, I mean, they should excel, right? They, they should, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It's cool. I, I love the cultural aspect of this differences in around the world. So pretty neat. Pretty neat. <laughs> yeah. Um, Dean. So uh, we are we're gonna we're gonna come to a close, and but we we have a rapid fire round that we did not inform you of. Hope you're ready for it. I I, I know if anybody's ready for it, you are. Um, <laughs> before we get into that, though, we want to give you the opportunity to share your website, your social, where people can buy your book. Um, Anything, anything that you want to to share? Yeah, I mean, just I, someone said if you Google Dean, I'm one of the first people that come up, so I, I'm not hard to find. I mean, Dean Dean Carnassus. Uh, I've got a website. 
you know, I'm on social media, you know, you can find all my books there. So if you're interested, yeah. just Google my name. But, um, you know, if you want to pick up a book and, and see what this ultra marathoning is all about, try, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, picking up a copy of a runner's high. And I promise you, it will not be what you expect in a sports memoir. Yeah. yeah so many people, uh, email me and say, wow, that's not at all. I was like pleasantly surprised. That's not at all what I was <laughs> expecting. So it's not your typical sports memoir at all. No, I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you, Dean. Elliot, right. you're ready to get us started? I am ready. So Dean, we've got five of them. We'll alternate back and forth. Uh, they can be off the top of your head. They don't have to be super short answers. First one is what is the first word that comes to your mind when you hear the word travel? Joy. <laughs> Joy. Yeah. That's a great answer. Uh, what travel book has had the biggest influence on your life? Wow. That's a good mm. question. Um, there's a book called The Worst Journey in the World, which is Ooh. not what you're expecting. It was about the, the, uh, the race to get to the South Pole. Ooh. So that had a uh, Into Thin Air. It was another influential okay. book. I have yeah. that on my bookshelf. Yeah. Uh, the Endurance about um, Shackleton. I don't know if you guys heard of it. Oh, the yeah. Endurance. Yeah, no, yep. I have not. Yeah, that's cool. a cool story. Awesome. Yeah. See, I love I love this question because that gives, it constantly adds to my list of books. I, I have so many. I just, what I do is I end up putting them on my Amazon wish list. And so it's just all books, just from, yep. from doing this podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, now, I, I mean, I might have to start, if I start doing ultra marathons, I could probably get through a few more books each month. <laughs> there you know i i, I never thought about it like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah there you go yeah. i get to all read right. more yeah. yeah all right so number three from between history architecture food or people what has the biggest impact on your experience when you travel wow i think probably people yep uh, although history and just natural beauty are pretty close high up there as well yeah these yeah. are these are yeah these are intricate oh, we might have to add that on yeah. there environment environment yeah 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 we might oh you i mean uh, you guys i'm sure just stood somewhere awestruck by uh, something you've seen while traveling oh yeah oh yeah yeah mm -hmm. natural beauty yeah. yeah all of them though you know i i've had conversations with people that have changed my life the food and the architecture yeah it's mm -hmm. it's hard to pick so that felt like a pick <laughs> All right. Uh, it's me, right? All right. Uh, Dean, so with a short answer, tell us one thing that travelers should not do. <laughs> do not take a sleeping pill and a laxative <laughs> on the same flight. Yeah. Uh, oh, I, think we need, I think we need the story behind that. <laughs> we don't want to go into details. That's, that's universal travel advice. Well, yeah. which, one, which one worked better? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's, that's a, great, a great way to ask that. <laughs> no one's answered that before, so yeah. yeah okay. All right. We'll have to. Uh, we have to leave us in that cliffhanger. I guess. All yeah. right. And last question: What is one piece of advice you'd give to yourself ten years ago? Invest in Apple. <laughs> yeah. all right yeah, yeah. solid yeah, a good pick or maybe google yeah, yeah. solid any of them yeah yeah yep. yeah <laughs> all right Dean, thank you so much for joining us today it has been a pleasure talking with you and again for you everyone listening just google dean's name you can find all of his info all of his books um, well i'll be in the show notes as well yeah and maybe one day we'll all go for a run together yeah we'll all run the athens marathon together how's that that would be I, a blast. I, kinda, I would do I, that. You, can, you might be able to convince me as well. All right. <laughs> All right. Awesome. Thank you, Dean. Cheers, guys. You going to start running? No. No, I'm not going to start running. I have this I think you would really like it. I think you would really like it. Mm. You meditate every day. To me, running mm. is a form of meditation. I don't listen to anything. It's great. It clears my mind. It lets me focus on the things I want to focus on or not focus on and let my mind, this is pun intended, run its course. I do need to shed some of this winter 
chub I've put on. It's been a, it's been a nice <laughs> soft winter for me, and I do need to shed some weight. So maybe, maybe I, I as it stands, I like to pre- I prefer to meditate sitting down. I know, but I, but I know I, I know your mind. You you have like a million thoughts going, and running helps you zen. It helps you zone out. It helps you get focused, and then you're focused right after that too. I think I, I know that's why up, you like working working with weights because you have stuff to do all the time. I think I'd end up focusing on how horrible running is. <laughs> well, that's your own choice. Yeah, <laughs> right. It's all about my perception, right? It is. So, I, but well, talking about Dean here, though remarkable life experiences. Um, one of the more, I guess, like tenured travelers, adventurers that we've had on the podcast. And it's awesome when you have somebody with like decades of experience yeah. doing and these certainly things. certainly a unique form of travel, like Absolutely. the most basic form. Absolutely. And then to dive into like historical races and get, and then and redo them. I loved it. That was actually the reason I reached out and, and in the first place and really wanted to pick his brain. So great conversation. Yeah. Great conversation indeed. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, thank you for listening to the podcast. If you want to help us out in a financial way, check out manscaped.com and use the code TTB for 20% off of your order. Elliot and I were provided with products as a part of the sponsorship deal, but we genuinely love them. Like we legitimately use them. I use mine all the time. They're great products. They They really are. So definitely check those out if if it's something that you're interested in. Um, If not, if you just want to good gifts as well if you want to support us in a way that does is, is not financially burdensome um just by simply subscribing or liking or sharing our content online that's like that that goes such a far way yeah so that's just even consider. that's even better than money <laughs> so either way thank you for listening we appreciate every one of you that listens to this podcast and tune in next week